do restaurant companies raise prices to match higher labor costs without turning off customers at a time of weak traffic? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine, and in this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, I ask Mark Kelnoffer this very question. Mark joined me at the recent National Restaurant Association show. He is the president and CEO of Return on Ingredients, a management consulting firm that works with restaurant companies on recipe costing, menu engineering, and benchmarking to improve the overall profitability and efficiency of restaurant operations. Mark and I chat about the challenges restaurant companies have today in balancing menu prices with their costs and doing so without turning away customers. We chat about the importance of operational efficiency and what companies can do to ease cost concerns without relying solely on higher prices. And later, I talk once again about the incrementality of delivery. But first, here's Mark Kelnhofer. Okay, I'm here with uh, Mark Kelnhofer. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Um, so we are kind of in an interesting sort of era right now where um, many restaurant companies have traffic challenges um, and uh, difficulty luring customers, but they're also seeing higher labor costs and other costs. And so I really wanted to talk a little bit about how companies can effectively price um, to meet those higher costs without losing customers. And this is kind of a difficult challenge, isn't it? It is. And one of the challenges to start off with is the actual recipe cost identification. So what I see out in the industry, many cases, recipes themselves are not documented very accurately. Mm -hmm. And the cost, the way we handle or identify costs as an industry, is not done very well. So I come from a manufacturing industry cost accounting background, and we cost things out using determining all the costs. So in this case, we would determine the cost of the ingredients, the labor and overhead to get to a total cost picture. And I think with the pressures of increased labor costs, increased food commodity costs as well, we have to move in that direction to where we actually have some confidence for driving profitability. And that's really what it's all about. It's making sure at the end of the day we're making some money, cash is going to the bank. And too many times, we, as you know, the restaurant failure rate's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think in many cases, it's because the cost of identification is not done very well. So when they do look at pricing, they don't really have the true data they need to make mm-hmm. good decisions. And it's so credible. And pricing itself, when we take price increases, for example, is what we're going to talk about here in a little bit, is that um, you can take price too many times in some cases where it becomes very visible to the the customer or guest that's coming in to visit your restaurant. And it's very noticeable in some cases. So you have to be really careful about the timing, the number of times that we do that. And we want to make sure that, and we understand that that's only one way to respond. There's all kinds of other ways we can respond to these increased costs. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the other ways that they can respond right, to so these increased costs? And, and we want to be methodical about it. So that's why we need to have those costs identified as well. So, you know, in this industry, we have both the art and the numbers. And so we want to make sure that we use both of those to make good decisions. And so when we look at the art, we're looking at quality and flavor and presentation and all those things, which are important. Um, But then there's numbers. And at the end of the day, it's all about the profitability of the product. 
So when we, another way we can respond is let's just say that we look for an alternative ingredient that could potentially reduce costs. Mm -hmm. It's a real tricky component to that. Anytime you look at it, exchanging out an ingredient, you want to make sure that the flavor is the same, the quality is the same, because people pay for quality, but we don't want to change it in any way. If we do, just change the product, right? Have you ever gone to a restaurant and had your favorite dish taste different all of a sudden? Yeah. Well, sometimes it's because somebody's made a decision to change an ingredient, probably because it's a cost reduction. Right. But what they just did also is they reduced the quality. Yeah. I've and seen so a lot. The high perception goes down. Yeah. Right. I've seen a lot of companies, especially like when commodities were going up, you saw a, a lot of companies, um, you know, just sub out ingredients because, you know, you know, like what beef costs are just going up high. Actually, we've seen that we see this a lot with chicken wings where companies will start saying, all right, we're going to sell more boneless wings instead of bone in wings because chicken wing costs are going up. It, when in reality, you know, a lot of people just really like their bone in wings and, and, um, you know, and so they've lost sales as a result when in reality, they, those chicken wing companies need better just overall pricing metrics because the fact of the matter is every so often chicken wing costs spike. Yeah, exactly. It's part of uh, what we do. Now, one of the things that we don't always watch very carefully are commodity forecasts, for example. You know, we have tools out there that give us some visibility on what costs are going to be projected to go up. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't even look at that, right? They look at today's cost. They don't really look to see, hey, are the chicken wing prices going to go up in the future? You know, right. they, and that's something we have available to our, in our arsenal. Unfortunately, people don't actually know that it's out there, that they can use it. And in many cases, it's free. Food Business News, for example, is a great publication. It's got forecasts in there by commodity. It's something to give the operator some visibility to that. Mm-hmm. So there are ways we can look at that. You know, and just think about this. What happens if they make a change? Let's say they react in two different ways. Let's say they make a change and getting an alternative ingredient. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say it's not a good decision. They actually changed the quality. It went down. But let's say they also raised price. Now you have a sudden have two ways they've responded to their cost issue. But ultimately, it's going to be a negative effect, right? Because now you have a higher price on something that's got lower quality to it. And potentially, you're going to have that gas in the water or something else, trade down, or maybe even not come back. You know, mm-hmm. the repeat customer base is so important. So we've got to be really careful about how we respond because it's too easy to lose the profitability dollars that we have on it. Right, right. Is there, you, you mentioned that you some companies can take price too much. I mean, there's a point where, like, it, it, how do you know when, like, I don't know, look, I'm just getting hammered by labor costs. I mean, this is really, you know, I, I operate in California. And um, my labor costs are literally wages are going literally up by a dollar every single year. How do I deal with that element? Well, that's a good question because they, they we're, we're running into that now. And it's not just California. It's other states. And it's not just with the minimum wage increases. We're finding out with the labor shortage because there really is a talent shortage. Yeah. We're, we're having issues of really getting good people in. So the minimum wage that issue that we have is not as much of an issue as the labor shortage in town is because you're paying more than minimum wage to draw people in anyway. So, you know, we have to make sure, and this is why I think it's so important on recipe costing that we actually identify what it costs to make the product with the labor 
and overhead so that we can make a good decision. You know, because at the end of the day, we want to make some money. Mm -hmm. Now, it gets really tricky. You know, let's say you're a, and I've seen this already, where there's a fast casual concept that have taken price over the a lot of price over the years, right? To the point where I really feel they're almost like a fine dining price point, right? Outside the concept. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, because of that, value perception drops and, and traffic went down. Now, the real question becomes, did they have to do that in order to be profitable? Or did they do that without the proper analysis hoping mm -hmm. that it covers all their labor costs, right? So it's a real fine line right. about between price and knowing cost. And if you don't know the cost, just think about this. Let's say you developed a cost for ingredients only. When you're dealing with price and price changes, how do you know you're ever really making money without knowing the other components of cost? Yeah. You don't, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a guessing game, but the labor piece it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's bigger than ingredients, right? So really, you know, in my mind, the right move is to be a little bit more disciplined. Put prep times on recipes, and let's find out what it costs us to make the product. Right. Yeah, that's really where we need to be. Yeah. I mean, is there a point at which, like, well, let, let, let's show that question for later. So you think that it's, it's like you need to start looking at your whole labor picture and and how long it takes to do these things, and maybe are there ways of getting more efficient with preparation and Absolutely. service and that sort of thing, that Absolutely. you have to See, work on the efficiency. We, we do that for a couple of reasons. So when we put the labor time on a recipe, yes, it's to identify the cost of what it's going to take to make. That's one reason why we do it. But you can ultimately use that data also to help with the scheduling, for example, of prep labor. Mm -hmm. So we can actually look at all the batches we have to make for the day. We can schedule to make those batches. We know how many people it's going to take and how long. So those types of things can happen with the right data. The problem is, is I, as I go back, if you go back to the very beginning, the recipe documentation in the industry, when I go out in the field and go to these different restaurant concepts, a lot of times prep time is not on recipes. Right. Right. And unfortunately, that's something we, we do all the time. We have to go in and make sure that the recipe document's accurately stated, but then when we look at prep times, we're doing time motion studies to develop what the standard should be. Mm -hmm. So it, it can, the data that you have around that can be very powerful, yeah. and it's not horribly difficult to get there. I, mean, I really think as an industry, we have to get there because the, the cost increases we're seeing right. across the board. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing increases in ingredients, commodity costs, increases in labor, and then we have overhead components increasing as well. And we have to make sure we respond properly. Right. I, yeah, I mean, you mentioned fast casual chains. And I know, I know, like, you know, there's a certain fast casual burger chain, for instance, and I take, took my family of four there. And we paid almost $70 for that meal. Unbelievable. Yeah. And... I mean, I mean, it, it's you know, I mean that that this literally almost what we pay for casual dining. I mean, like I'll go to a casual dining and we pay eighty for a base casual dining, and and if you're gonna be that much, you've got to have a hell of an experience. It's right. that food has to be good. That experience has to be fantastic. And and to me, I think I start to wonder if if maybe at some point 
companies have to either start swallowing some thinner margins because over time this is going to be a sales problem and and we we yeah. as you know going back to the initial point we have a traffic challenge in this industry mm-hmm. um and um and 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 we also have because we can't find labor we're we're having some service challenges and and now i mean i mean i think in fast food in particular um your mcdonald's and your burger kings and your wendy's that's a a, a growing problem because I'm paying a lot more, and actually, I'm getting less service, and that's that's sort of an issue. Oh, yeah. But, um, but you know, going on your point about mm-hmm. accepting less margins. Okay, yeah. so I just use the example of uh, BJ's Brewhouse, where you know, if you look at their last annual report, their profit was around five percent. Okay, so but if you accept large or lower margins and profitability, let let's say, and my fear is this. Is that it's too easy for that five percentage points to go away yeah. by making some really I've seen this happen where companies have made decisions on their menu with incomplete data and they've shot themselves in the foot not even knowing you know they had all the good intentions and everything they made some decisions the profitability went down right because they really didn't have the proper data in front of them it's too easy to lose that five percent so if you're going to tell me, let's accept lower margins, I would say the only way you can really do that effectively is by really knowing that cost structure very accurately. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't see that a whole lot in the industry. That's the issue. Because we have now this the cost, like you said, cost pressures going up, but we're not really identifying how they affect the rest of us. Mm-hmm. That's really at the point where that's where we need to be. Right. The impact that it has on the rest of us. Right. So it basically gets back to, all of this gets back to, you have to know everything that is going into the burger you're making, you know, the chicken sandwiches you're making, whatever you're making. You have to know everything that goes into it, whether in terms of service time. That's my approach. And for me, I want to have confidence. This is what I, when I look at that structure, I want to have confidence on making money mm-hmm. on every item. Right, and, and there's, for me, there's no such thing as a loss leader. I want to make money in every single item because there's not really a relationship between one item and another. There's no guarantees, right? So any, every guest that walks in the door, I want to make money on. Mm-hmm. So the only way we can get that to that point is really by having a better cost structure. And I think that's what we need to do as an industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that this 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 industry. Um, you know, long term has to find ways of getting more labor efficient. I mean, it probably needs to get other voices. I think to me, the labor piece, especially in, in limited service, really needs to be, I mean, in, in full service, you need to provide service. I'm not going there to get garbage service right, right, at right. all. I can tolerate bad service at McDonald's. I'm not going to tolerate it at Applebee's. Right. Um, but, but it does need to be more labor efficient because, and, and this comes up, I mean, this has been an issue now for, for well, a few Well, the issue's going to grow, too, yeah. because we're going to have potentially overtime rule changes and things like that. It's not just the minimum wage increases and, more, and the labor shortage. Other things are going to happen to cause that piece to go up higher. Mm-hmm. So I, I predict that over the next you know, couple of years here, we're going to continue to see labor increase costs, you know, benefits going up and things like that. Right. So... Um, you know, it, it's certainly, if we look at the components of cost, you know, now labor is 
the larger piece you know, that we need to really tackle. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't know how to tackle. So um, I've always said through all the years I've been doing this, and I've, I speak in a lot of different hospitality and culinary schools as well. Now, if you actually look at the curriculum of those schools, mm-hmm. they don't teach entrepreneurship, hospitality, accounting, right? And critical courses you need to run a business. They're not really part of the program. You know, they certainly will teach you about the art, but if, if you actually took a survey of the students that are going out in the field, they want to start a business. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when they get into the business, don't have formalized education in those areas. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem, too, is that as people move up the ladder, you can move up the ladder within a restaurant here today and really never be exposed to a P&L until finally you get here in the middle mansion now, but you really don't know how to analyze it. I think it's a real issue. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, when we when we do look at pricing, are there certain strategies like, I mean, do you just, you don't want to take like 2% across the board? Are there strategies that no, you can I, use? No, I've seen some pretty crazy things out there. As you know, I, mean, I got samples on my presentations I do where I show screenshots and menus and you won't believe some of the pricing I've seen. Mm-hmm. But we definitely don't want to be a little bit methodical about it. You want to make sure it's not as noticeable. So, you know, a price point from 1879 to 1899, you could probably make that, that increase and not have a whole lot of kickback on it. But once you start breaking price barriers, where you go from 18 to 19 and above or something like that, when you break a price barrier, then it's a lot more noticeable. So yeah. you want to be careful about when you do those types of price, yes. price increases. So make it as unnoticeable as possible. So I had a, uh, I remember speaking to a, uh, a restaurant operator that told me they changed the price of coffee from $2.95 to $3.00. And she said you would have thought World War III happened because they were getting all these calls in and complaints, and they were saying, I can't believe you raised my coffee a nickel, right? Because it, it broke price barrier, right? right? Like I should have put two ninety nine, right? Or something not as noticeable. Yeah. So we want to be careful about those types of things when we do it. And then again, we want to make sure that we really want to have an idea about how it impacts the value perception. Mm-hmm. Because if the value perception drops, significantly we're probably making a bad decision at that point we're probably yeah. going to lose some traffic as we right. what I think one of the things that I tend to think is, especially if I look back if you're going to run a heavy promotion based on a single price point is that you have to be careful about how long you run that for and, 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 and what you do and I, I, I'm going to bring up the example of Subway which for a long time had the $5 foot long, was brilliant for a while during the recession, essentially carried them through the recession. Um, uh, had a, a large role in knocking out quiz notes, for instance. You know, but then they went off of it and in about 2012, and, you know, or they tried to wean themselves off of it and then all went off of it fully in 2012. And then they came back a few years later with a $6 foot long. And then people thought that they raised the prices of foot. Well, they didn't. They had actually been off the five dollar footlong for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, but and but that's what that's what the stories I was reading. Subway raises the prices of the five dollar footlong, and it was a disaster. It was just it 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 absolutely didn't work. Um, yeah, and I've seen restaurants that do. Uh, I've even seen 
fast casual to have, for example, in their sandwich section, all of them at the same price point, uh-huh. right? Which I know already when I look at it's fast casual, I'm looking at it and saying, yep, you know, I know that these cost different amounts. They're not going to be the same cost, certainly. And I know that some of these are probably not making a whole lot of money on it because I can typically get a feel for it right out of the gate when I look at the menu. I can say, I think they're losing money on this on this particular sandwich, right? So I don't like where they just said one price fits all type of thing. I don't like that model at all because I know costs are not going to be the same on that. Mm-hmm. And profitability is not going to be the same. It's going to change, too. That's one thing we can say for sure sitting here today is that costs are going to change. They change constantly, right? So labor costs change. Certainly commodity costs are changing all the time, right? That's the challenge we have. We have to respond to how these costs are changing and then we have to price it properly to make sure we make some money. Yeah. So you got to build these, you have to build some strategy in to ensure that, you know, if you're going to run, if you're going to run some sort of long-term promotion, you'd better be able to meet those cost challenges because they always go up. Right. <laughs> they always do. And eventually, might not be next year, but five years down the line, whoever is succeeding you as CEO is going to have to deal with this. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's so critical. And uh, unfortunately, I would say when I, when I go out there again, that discipline of costing or even recipe documentation just isn't as strong as it needs to be. And that's the biggest, the biggest hole I see in many cases when I, you know, I've gone out to chains, you know, 45 locations, 50 locations, and I look at the recipe documentation and it's so incomplete. And when I see that, it tells you, one, they don't know their costs. They certainly have potential consistency issues because they don't have documented standards on ingredients or time, right? So, you know, in fact, that's what, you know, in this case, the the chain even came back and said, yeah, we've got consistency issues. And I go, no wonder why. You're not, you're not documenting everything properly. You don't even know what your menu item is, right, based on this document. And the recipe should be so accurately written that anybody can pick it up and execute it. Right? That's the way it should be. But that's the biggest problem we have. And so if you have an incomplete recipe, even if you costed an incomplete recipe, you have inaccurate data, don't you? Yeah. So the whole menu engineering process changes, the whole profitability picture changes, and it's all related back to that base recipe. If they don't have the base recipes documented properly, there's some real issues. Or there's going to be real issues, I should say. Sweet. Mark, this was fantastic. I appreciate uh, you joining us uh, here at the uh, restaurant show uh, yeah. to, to talk about this stuff, and obviously very important. Awesome. I appreciate it. Last week, I debated with my restaurant business colleague, Peter Romeo, about the incrementality of delivery. Almost immediately, we heard from Greg Flynn, the big multi-concept franchisee who told us about a three-market test in his Applebee's locations in which they are going without delivery. He gave us a result that was somewhat surprising. Sales of curbside service and dine-in increased faster in markets without delivery than in those that do have delivery. As I've said for a long time, I believe delivery is here to stay, and companies ultimately work out its various kinks because, well, customers want the service. But one of those major kinks is profitability. And if delivery is incremental, it won't be incremental for long, and that means restaurant companies will have to make sure these sales are profitable, or at least margin neutral, to use Greg Flynn's term. 
As I said last week, that means companies should seek to renegotiate commissions, charge higher menu prices for delivery orders, or charge delivery fees to get to that neutrality. Otherwise, restaurant companies face a less profitable future. And that's it for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Sarah Rushworth, Peter Romeo, Heather Lally, and Pat Kobe. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer. Thank you for listening.